connect groups have been such a blessing to my wife and I. Uh, we have been just, uh, we've just had a, a beautiful time uh, with our connect group, and we meet a little bit further away out in Pleasanton, but, um, but we have such an amazing time in our connect groups. In fact, this pr- past connect group, there was kind of a smaller group of us, and we kind of just circled up together, and um, we just began to talk about what is the gift that God has given us? What, what, are, we, what, is, what are our strengths? What are we good at? And, you know, and as we were having that conversation, a lot of us at first say, well, you know, we, can, we have some ideas, but we weren't quite sure, you know, what is my gifting? What, 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 am, what, am, what is my calling? And as we kind of sat in our group, we just begin to have a, a, just a beautiful time. We asked a couple of questions. And I think one of the highlights of um, our last Connect group was we were sitting in a circle together. And what we did is we had everybody um, basically take several minutes to write down different ways in which the person across from them helps them see Jesus more. It was so beautiful. And, I, and as, we, as we wrote down these things and these items and we, we allowed everyone to speak, it was just, you just felt so encouraged. And so uh, each one would take their turn and it would say, you know what, Pastor Philip, this is the area that I feel like the Lord has given you to encourage me. And they begin to kind of just tell me lists of things. And, and we begin to go in a circle. I begin to share with those. And we had just such a beautiful time of encouraging one another. And also, I think a lot of us walked out of that connect group, kind of understand, like, oh, I think I understand a little bit more what God has given me and, and the gifts that God has given me. And um, these connect groups have been so wonderful. We're going on a little bit. Yeah, we're going on a little bit of a break for the year. And we'll restart at the second week of January. And if you have made a connect group man these are this really the the kind of the the meat and potatoes of the word and so I just really encourage you to think about it and we come around next year and we open them up again uh, really for you to I just challenge you to be a part of that I think it's such a great growing experience and um, and really that kind of helps me segue into the, the second installment of our living series and um, I think one of life's greatest questions um Or some of life's greatest questions are these. What's my purpose? Why was I put on this planet? Or what was I created to do? You know, have you ever wondered to yourself, you know, I know there's more than this. There's got to be more than waking up and working 9, 10, 12 hours a day, coming home exhausted and tired just to get back up and work again. There's got to be something more than just trying to collect an overtime, trying to collect a paycheck so I can pay these bills, I can pay this debt. I, you know, I, can, I was looking up something in the Bay Area, and the prices here are astronomical. Like, God bless all of you that you're still living here today. In fact, as a church planter, and I said, Lord, where do you want us to plant a church? And I felt the Lord telling us it was going to be in the Bay Area, and it was going to be here, specifically in the East Bay. And I was excited. I was born and raised here. I was like, man, I think like in 10 years, if the prices continue to go where they're going, my whole church my leave for somewhere else. I mean, I think some, no doubt there's probably some of you in here probably even thinking, man, that valley's looking really nice right now. And, and then some of you are like, well, not really. Once I go over the Altamont and get in that traffic, right? And some of you are making commutes now, but there's got to be more to this life. In fact, people move because there's got to be more. People change jobs because there's got to be more. And a lot of times we look to our careers or our vocation to fulfill us and satisfy us, and we come up empty. And then we look to man to fulfill us or satisfy us, and it comes up empty. And we go on this search, and we ask ourselves, what am I here for? 
There's got to be more than this. I mean, I love my wife, and I love my son, and I love my daughter. I love my family. But I, I, there's, there's got to be something beyond me. There's got to be something more. And so I think one of life's greatest questions, whether you're a believer in Christ or you're not, whether you're new to Christianity or whether you've been around forever or whether you're just kind of a casual observer, it doesn't matter what race, religion, what background you come from, you have to ask yourself, why am I here? And it's unfortunate sometimes because some people answer, some people's answers depress them so much that they fall into a place of depression. Some of them think about taking their lives because they don't see how they make an impact anymore. And so I think the questions of purpose and, and, and the questions of destiny um, are so important um, to all of us as a human race, no matter what religion um, you, you call yourself. And now for some people, these questions are a pure self-discovery. You know, we, we set on this journey of self-discovery. But as a Christian or a follower of Christ, these questions can be answered by God. God has these answers. He created you. And the creator knows exactly why he created. He knows exactly how he created. And so I really believe that this next couple of weeks, and it's going to kind of be a two week, they're going to build off one another. We're really going to begin to talk about what has God called me to do? What have I been created to do? And um, so there's going to be a practical side of this. And then there's going to be a theological side of this concept of living out your call. Now I want you to listen to what Webster's Dictionary, how Webster's Dictionary defines calling. Have you, has somebody ever said, hey, what's your calling in life? Or, you know, what are you called to do? Sometimes in the church we overuse that word. But even outside of the church, people talk about, well, this is just, I just think I found my calling. And so Webster's Dictionary defines calling like this. A strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action especially when accompanied by a conviction or divine influence. Now, I want to invite you to consider sticking around for the next two weeks as I hope to help all of us in here define or help shape you in understanding what the call of God over your life just might be. Now, my prayer for these next two weeks will be that the Holy Spirit would clarify the call of God for you. And secondly, my prayer would be that the Holy Spirit would create an urgency for you to respond to that call. Some of us, we may even know what we're called to do, but maybe there's not an urgency to respond to that call. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you would clarify the call, but my prayer is that you also would create in me an urgency to go after that call. And so before we actually get into today's message I just want to take time to pray that over all of us this morning. So if you just give me a moment, let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are creator of all things on heaven and earth. And you have created and you have uniquely designed and woven each and every person in this room. And so, Lord, we are asking in the next two weeks that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And that he would clarify the call of God over our lives individually. And that he would also create a sense of urgency to accomplish that call. 
for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been my experience, and maybe some of you um, who's been in church for a while, and if you haven't been in church for a while, you can listen and probably like and get a better understanding, but I've been in church for a little bit now. I was born and raised in church. It's been my experience that churches and believers oftentimes misunderstand or misrepresent this idea of calling. Um, as a result, I've seen misguided hearts journey down self-centered paths only to end up bitter with God and unfulfilled in life. So I'd like to lay down some foundational understandings regarding the call that I think can help us maybe redirect us not to enter into a place of dissatisfaction with God and my life's path. And so I'd like to give you two quick foundational points when it comes to the call in which everything else hinges on. In fact, if you don't get these two points, you're probably going to miss the rest severely. And so these are really two important points that I need us to understand when it comes to the purpose, the plan, the call of God over your life. And if you're sitting here today, and maybe you're not necessarily a follower of Christ, I want you to know that whether you're a follower or not, Christ still has a plan for your life. And I also want you to know, maybe you say, Philip, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done in my past. And I would say to you, you don't know me, and you don't know what I've done in my past. And if you did, you probably wouldn't even let me be on this pulpit, because that's just the way man is. God has done a lot in my life, and he could do a lot in your life. And you are not disqualified based on what you've done in the past. Doesn't matter what you've done. I've done worse. You're like, no, you don't know me. And I would say, no, you don't know me. Let's grab coffee, and we can, we can, just, we can talk about it. So with that being said, um, I want to just lay some two foundational points, I think, regarding the call of God, and then we'll jump a little bit deeper. Number one, so important. We must always remember the bigger story is God's glory. The bigger story is God's glory. Never forget your first and most important step in realizing your call is that it's not about you. And I can understand why a lot of people never get out the gates because a lot of people never understand it's not about me. Now, I know this sounds insensitive, but hear me out. I said this last week. Your dreams are at their biggest and your passions are at their best when you are living for something greater than yourself. Self-serving goals and self-satisfying dreams are insulting and far too small for the heart of God. Remember, the bigger story is God's glory. Number two, so important. The call of God mirrors the gospel of God. And the gospel of God, are you ready for this? Some of you all need to listen closely. The call of God mirrors the gospel of God, and the gospel of God radically redefines the nature of success. What do I mean by that? If you look at Romans chapter 5, verse 19, listen to the words of Romans 5, 19. Through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Now let's look at John chapter 12, verse 24. I love what John 12, 24 says. It says this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruits. Hear me out. Gospel success is catalyzed by obedience and death. Gospel success is catalyzed by obedience and death. In that, one thing has to obey or die so that many things can live and thrive. One thing has to obey and die so that many things can live and thrive. This is important. The difference between understanding and misunderstanding the call of God is how you currently measure success. If your view of success does not reflect the gospel's view of success, you're going to miss the call, and you're going to misunderstand the call, and you're going to use the call as a vehicle for self-exaltation. Are you with me? If the gospel defines success, then you're not going to miss the call. You're not going to misunderstand the call. And most importantly, you're not going to use the call as a vehicle of self-exaltation. When you look at your call through the lenses of the gospel, your call becomes exponentially bigger than you could ever dream or imagine. And then you begin to dream with the heart of God. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up here for you. But let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. And we're going to read what's known as the parable of the ten minas. And while you're opening your Bibles, this parable will guide our teaching, not only this morning, but next Sunday. So again, I want to encourage you to come back. This is a two-parter. And this parable will guide our teaching this morning. It will also guide our teaching next Sunday. And we're going to use it, like I said in the very beginning, to A, help clarify the call this week. And then next Sunday, we'll use the parable to help create a sense of urgency to fulfill that call. So again, today we're going to clarify the call, and today will be a much more practical lesson. It'll be very practical today. Uh, Next week, we'll use that same parable to create an urgency to fulfill that call, and it'll be much more of a theological lesson. So I'm really excited, um, and so I'm really ready to jump into this. So let's talk about clarifying my call, a practical lesson, in Luke chapter 19, and we're simply going to read verses 11 through 13. So Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 13 says this. As they heard these things, he, being Jesus, proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. He said to them, a nobleman went into a far country To receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. He gave them ten minas and he said to them, engage in business. He said to them, engage in business until I come. And as I'm reading this, I realize I just kind of want to read this whole parable to you. So if you don't mind, let's continue to read. Is that okay? 
So verse 19, um, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 19, and we're going to continue from verse 13. Calling ten of his servants, he gave to them ten minas, and he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in the very little, you shall receive authority over ten cities." And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant, You know that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Verse 25. And he said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has More will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 27, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, if you don't read this parable in context, you can actually take a lot of things out of this that may not mean what Jesus intended to mean. So I want to invite you to come back tomorrow. I want to invite you to come back next Sunday as we continue to progress through this parable. But here's what I want to focus on this morning. I want to focus on verse 13. The the nobleman called his servants. He gave them ten minas, and he said to them, engage in business until I come. I want you to know that clarifying the call starts with understanding these three things the nobleman did Before he went away, he called his servants, he gave them minas, and then he sent his servants to do business. Here we go. Every call of God, and if you're taking notes, this will be a really great opportunity today. We're going to be very practical, and I'm going to do my best to kind of teach and flow through that. But every call of God has built into it three components, a calling, a gifting, and ascending. A calling, a gifting, and ascending. Now, I want to take a little bit more time today to talk about this idea of a calling. And so let's talk about calling. Did you know that within every call from God are two calls? Within every call is two calls. What do I mean by that? There is a primary call, and then there is a personal call. Whenever God calls a man, whether you believe in him or not, whenever he calls you, there is a primary call, and then there is a personal call. Now, first, let's talk about the primary call. God's primary call over your life, or God's call over your life, is primarily, are you ready? It's primarily a call to become a disciple. 
The first call that God will ever make to you is to say, come, lay down your nets and follow me. Come, lay down your nets and follow me. The first call that God will ever call of your life is simply a call to you to come to him. Now, I want to continue. God's call of your life is primarily a call, here it is, to become a disciple who makes disciples wherever you are. To become a disciple who makes disciples wherever you are. As followers of Christ, your first priority is to answer these two questions. Are you ready? Number one, am I a disciple? And number two, who am I discipling? As a follower of Christ, your first priority is to answer these two questions. Am I a disciple? And who am I discipling? In fact, whenever you come across the word calling in Scripture, most of the time it's referring to this primary call over your life to become a disciple who makes disciples or simply to follow Jesus and join in with him on his redemptive mission over the worlds. Now let's jump to the second part of the call, the personal call. Second, God's personal call revolves around this truth. You are uniquely made to do specific works and tasks wherever you are most effective. Right? So within every call, there's two calls. The first call is this, to follow Christ and to join in with him on his redemptive purposes. So A, am I a disciple? And B, who am I discipling? Secondly, there's a personal call that goes right alongside of the primary call. And the personal call is this. You are uniquely made to do specific works and tasks wherever you are most effective. The question that needs to be asked at this level, or the questions that need to be asked at this level are these. Number one, what unique gifts has God given to me? Did you know that God has given you a gift? The moment you said yes to Jesus and you became a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit gave you a gift. Multiple gifts. And so the first question you have to ask is, what unique gifts has God given to me? And the second question is this, where has God guided me to use those unique gifts for his glory? Now be careful. Be careful to make sure that you're putting your gospel lenses on. Amen? Be careful to make sure that you use your gospel lenses, especially when it comes to your personal call. Otherwise, you'll think that your unique gifting was given to you to push ahead in your life. A lot of you are trying to discover your gifting so you can get further in your career. And my problem with that is this. I don't have a problem with that. That's beautiful. But your gifting given to you by the Holy Spirit is not for you. Your primary purpose with your personal call is to use the gifting that the Holy Spirit has given to you to be a disciple and to make disciples, to join in Jesus' redemptive purposes on the earth. Remember, your call is too small when it's a selfish call. God has something bigger for you. Amen? All right. So again, make sure that you use your gospel lenses, especially when it comes to your personal call. Otherwise, you're going to think that your unique gifting was given to you to push ahead in life. Now listen, and instead of going where the Spirit leads you, 
You're going to go where the money leads you. Ah, I want to get. Can I get a little closer? Because I feel like the back needs to hear this. Instead of going where the spirit leads you, you're going to go where the career leads you. You're going to go where the money leads you. And instead of going where the spirit leads you, you're going to go where your flesh leads you. And instead of going where God wants you to go, you're going to go where you want to go, expecting God to move. But remember, the bigger story is God's glory. Okay, I needed to do that. I needed to get down there. Instead of going where the spirit leads you, you'll go where the money leads you or where the influence leads you. Thus dreaming small dreams that glorify your scare, yourself rather than scary dreams that glorify Christ. I want you to know that when Christ called my wife and I to plant a church, that was the last thing we wanted to do. In fact, we felt the Lord was calling us to do something more than what we were doing. We felt that. And as we begin to make a list Church planting didn't even make the list. It wasn't even in our radar. And as we began to continue to seek the Lord, all of a sudden, it began to creep up on the radar. And I described church planting as this. Are you ready? It was the scariest thing on the list. But it was the most intriguing thing on the list. There's something about the grand call of God over your life to fulfill his dreams and not yours that will scare you but intrigue you the most. It will scare the lights out of you, but it will haunt you the most. Now that we've defined the primary and personal call, I want to share with you three important elements that kind of tie these things together, both of these calls together. Now, I want you to know, as a follower of Christ, you have both. You have a primary call and a personal call. So I want to share a couple of elements, three elements with you that I believe ties these two things together. Are you guys with me? Amen. The first element is the universal nature of the call. The universal nature of the call. Let me explain. In every call from God, whether it's a primary or a personal call, you're going to find identity, purpose, and position. You're going to find identity, purpose, and position. I know I'm kind of teaching today. Stay with me. You're going to find identity, purpose, and position. Now, let me tell you, your identity is a question of who am I. Your purpose is a question of what am I created to do, and your position is a question of where am I guided to go. Are you, are you got that? So within every call, there's identity, purpose, and position. Your identity is a question of who am I. Your purpose is a question of what am I created to do? And your position is a question of where am I guided to go? Now this brings us to our second element. Not only is there a universal call, but guess, or not only is the call universal, but guess what? There's a formula to this call. Now in this parable, the nobleman calls his servants, he gives his servants, and then he sends his servants, or he asks them to now take what I've given you and engage in business. Likewise, every call contains identity, purpose, and position. So you ready for the formula? Formula is simple. The formula of the call of God over your life is this, be, do, and go. 
Be, do, and go. Be, do, go. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down what that means. The be aspect of your personal call is your unique design. And this unique design distinguishes you from other children of God. But it still carries a reflection of Christ. Here we go. Your B design. Are you ready? Your B portion of your primary call. I'm sorry. Your B portion of your personal call is your unique design. And I realized I skipped a little bit on my notes. So let me take a step back. Because remember, there's a primary and there's a personal. The B aspect of your primary call. Some of you taking notes are going to be angry with me because I messed you up. The B aspect of your primary call is to be a child of God and a disciple of Christ. Are you with me? The B aspect of your primary call is to be a child of God and a disciple of Christ. The B aspect of your personal call is your unique design. And this unique design will distinguish you from other people, other members of the body of Christ. It'll be different. It won't all be the same. And it's uniquely yours. But get, check this out. Not only will it distinguish you from other members of the body of Christ, but your unique design will still reflect everything that Jesus is. You see, in Jesus is all of this stuff. We got little ports and pieces and reflections of Jesus, but he fulfilled all of this. He has every gift known to man. You understand? He has every spiritual gift is all fulfilled inside of him. You guys with me? And so there's going to be a personal call. It's going to have a unique design aspect to it that will distinguish you from everybody else, but it will still reflect Jesus. Now, let me break this down and give you an example. Um, and I'm going to use my wife and I as an example. Um, I asked her permission this week. She looked at me because sometimes I don't ask permission. And then um, I, I drive home later, and she's like, really, babe? Did you really have to share all of that? And I was like, I do my best. I always try to make you look rosy, and I'm usually the fool. Um, but this time... This time I asked her and I got permission, um, but I want you to know she doesn't care anyway. So, um, But I want to use my wife and I as an example to talk about this B aspect. Now, for those of you who know me and my wife, you might be like, oh, yeah, I get that. For those of you maybe that don't know us too well, it may be a little difficult, so I'm going to just try to bring everybody in closely. But when I look at my beautiful wife, Jamila, she reflects Christ um, in a very what the Bible would call a pastoral-like manner, very pastoral. And in Scripture, whenever you see the word pastor, what you're seeing is the word shepherd. So whenever you see pastor, you see shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd takes care of the flock. A shepherd takes care of the sheep. A shepherd guides them from here to there, protects them from danger. A shepherd is a very loving and caring individual that would die for their sheep. And so when I look at my wife, she reflects Christ to me and to others in a very pastoral or shepherd-like manner. Now, when I say shepherd, I don't mean it, in a, or when I say pastor, I don't mean it in a traditional sense. A lot of us, we hear pastor, and we think of somebody who stands up on Sunday with a mic and begins to preach. That's half of the church's problem is that you think these guys are pastors sometimes. God has called all of us, and not just the people on the pulpit. And so I don't mean the traditional sense of the pastor, but I mean the, the heart of a pastor that reflects Jesus Christ. Are you guys with me? 
So Jamila shepherds with a very caring and patient demeanor. Me, on the other hand, I tend to reflect Christ, not necessarily in a shepherd-like or a pastoral type way, but I tend to shepherd like Christ in a more what we would call, using Christian lingo, in a prophet type way. Let me explain to you the prophet-like manner. When I say prophet, I'm referring to the tendency that I have to be challenging. I have a tendency to be upfront and challenging. You see, the prophets in the Old Testament, they challenged with truth. And so I have a tendency to be upfront and challenging. Now, this does not mean that Jamila or I can't excel in other designs. It just means that we have this particular type of design that we, call, we have been defaulted with and gifted to, and God has brought to us. Are you with me? And the body of Christ needs each other in order that we reflect the wholeness of Christ to one another. And so if there's only Jamila's and there's no Phil's, there's a problem. And we all know if there's only Phil's, God help us all, there's a problem. This is why we can't compete with one another. We can't compare with one another. We can't get insecure with one another because God has gifted you uniquely in a way that may be different than someone else. So don't covet someone else's gifting. Discover your own. Most likely, you're looking at someone else wanting what they got because you have yet to really discover your own. When you begin to know who you are, then who someone else is doesn't bother you because you become secure in who you are in Christ. Are you with me? So sometimes I look at my wife and I'm like, I wish I was a little more caring, a little bit more loving. Um, just playing. I'm very caring and very loving. And actually, this, that joke kind of leads me to another idea. We can't excuse ourselves not to be something because we're not called that. Well, I'm a jerk. I'm like Pastor Phil. So, uh, you know, that's not, we're all reflecting Christ. There's certain aspects of love that we don't, that's not a gift that we all need to have that. Right? The Holy Spirit cultivates the fruit of the Spirit in us all. So all these gifts must be displayed through patience, kindness, long-suffering. you understand where I'm going with this? All right. And so while my wife has a pastoral-like or a shepherd-like demeanor in the way she ministers and reflects Jesus, I tend to have a more prophet-like demeanor in the way I minister and reflect Jesus. Now, there's a be aspect. Remember, there's also a do aspect. You with me? The do aspect of your call, the do aspect of your primary call is to make disciples. You with me? So remember, the be aspect of your primary call is to be a disciple. The do aspect of your primary call is to what? Make disciples. Make disciples. What, what me? You want me to make a disciple? Yes, you. Be a disciple. Make a disciple. And if you are a disciple and you're not making a disciple, my question would be, what are you doing to prepare yourself to become a discipler? You know, the church... Um, I'll look at my wife. She gives me a yes. I'm going to say it. When we planted a church, with church planting, there's this issue sometimes, and that churches grow really fast because of church transfer growth. And so all you have really happening in the U.S. is a bunch of people just going from another church. Now, look, there are times to move churches. Amen? 
There are times to move churches. Some of you, no doubt, might be thinking, I don't want to be here. You know what? God bless you. Let's work it out. If you can't, there may be another church that suits you better. And I'm not offended by that. But here's what I want you to know is the American church won't fulfill the Great Commission until everyone begins to disciple, not just the leaders in the pulpit. And we won't just grow with church transfer growth, which I believe there's a healthy aspect to that. But we'll also grow because we're winning the city and those that are lost. Yeah? You guys get that? Wave at me if you get that. (laughs) So again, the do aspect of your primary call is to make disciples. The do aspect of your personal call is to do unique works and unique tasks for the glory of God. Now, I'm going to go back to Jamila and I. Are you guys with me? For Jamila, her pastoral design or her shepherding design allows her to disciple effectively through encouragement and counseling. Encouragement and counseling. And so if you've met with Jamila or maybe you're waiting to meet with Jamila or there are others that carry that as well. When you're you're in the presence of somebody who has a shepherding heart, you're going to feel encouraged. You're going to sit down and you're going to want to share your issues and they're going to sit with you and they're going to listen and they're going to hear and they're going to respond appropriately. And you're going to feel encouraged and you're going to feel like you've had a counseling session. But again, you're going to be, you know that you're in the presence of somebody who's been gifted with that shepherding pastoral heart of God. For me... Like I said to you, I have more of kind of a prophetic design to me. It allows me to disciple effectively through challenging and teaching. Challenging and teaching. Where the pastoral is going to listen and encourage and counsel. Somebody kind of with a more prophetic bent is going to challenge you and is going to teach you. Now, you're going to get challenged and taught by both parties, you hear me? But I'm just kind of sharing with you some of these unique different qualities. And I notice that I said these unique giftings both make us effective in discipleship. None of us are saying, well, she disciples and I don't. No, we both disciple, but we do it through our unique gifting, the way that we do it. Amen? I'm always amazed at the fact that the first thing my wife does is encourage it's the first thing she does. Whenever I ask her a question, hey, how did this go? Or what did so-and-so do? Or how do I? Her first instinct is to encourage. Anybody like that? Anybody, you look at something and you just right away, even if it was all bad, you find the good. In fact, she did her strength finders, and one of her top five strengths was this uh, restorative, yeah? Restorative. And this idea of restorative is someone who's restorative will, can go into a junkyard and look at a piece of junk and see the beauty in it. You know what I'm saying? And so you can look at a piece of junk and say, man, I see a beautiful cherry red dual exhaust, right? And I'm like, what are you, huh? What are you looking at? Because here's what I see. That thing don't even got, you know, the windows are crushed out. Things has been crushed a couple of times. Do you get what I'm saying? So I'm always amazed that my wife's first answer is to encourage. And the first thing I tend to do is critique. Now, a lot of you have been told in this culture that it's wrong to critique. Well, I must be. No, it's not. We need someone who sees the beauty. We also need someone who says, you know what? I see some of the things, right? And so we can, do you understand what I'm saying? And again, it doesn't mean that Jamila doesn't critique or that I don't see the beauty. But it, these are just some of the things that we do. Anybody in here, sometimes the first thing you, when you look at an issue, the first thing you do is you critique the problem. 
You're not a bad person, amen? Now, here's the interesting part. What energizes my life in ministry drains me sometimes. A great question to ask yourself about your call is what energizes you and what drains you? Make a list of all the doings of ministry. Or make a list of all the things that you do. And there's some things I love to do. And there's some things, oh my gosh, it doesn't energize me. And then share it with your spouse. Because sometimes you guys are fighting over the fact that, you know what, baby, you like to do this. I don't. So how do we come together and make this work? Okay, we're gonna, I'm going to allow you. We're going to meet halfway. But so, you guys understand. But sometimes you could solve problems just based on this is what energizes me and this is what drains me. Are you with me? So... What I realize sometimes, what energizes my wife in ministry drains me. And so what energizes me in ministry tends to drain my wife. Not all the time, but you guys get my point. Draining and energizing, I just said all this, can be a great way to discover kind of your be-do aspect. So sometimes my wife will spend three hours with somebody. And they've just been going in, and they have just been dialoguing and sharing their heart, and and just you know, and the you know, and I just and I'm like driving around, like, are you done with your meeting yet? No, and I'm like, gosh, what else do I have to do? I'll go walk around the mall, and just, just driving, you know. And I walk in there, it's like cloudy, and their eyes are all puffy, and she's got her journal, and, the, and you know, whoever's in there walking out, like, yes, Lord, right. Now, when you hang with me, you got about an hour, bro. You got one hour. Get to the problem. Tell me what it is. I'm probably going to challenge you. And then I'm like, all right, fix, bye. No, now, ready for this? Every strength and gift also has a flesh way to work in it. So, again, we can't, ex- well, that's just the way I am. No, no, don't be a jerk, Philip. You're not God. Jesus wasn't a jerk. You're not called to be a jerk. You're called to exercise the gifts that are the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So be patient while you're challenging, right? But my point in all of this is this. So we all need sharpening. But my point in all of this is this, is that, you know, we sit together. We'll go through it. It'll be a different experience with me than it would be with my wife. Thank God. Anybody just thankful for the body of Christ? Are you just thankful? You know, sometimes you're like, I don't want to go to church. Why? Because there's people there. (laughs) Or a lot of times, most of the time, people are like, I don't like church. Why? Because the church is full of people. They're hypocrites. I love the church because it's full of people. I love the church because, thank God for the church, because within the church are different parts of reflectors of Christ. And if I don't go to the church, I'm not going to experience the wholeness of Christ. Okay. Lastly, our go aspect. You guys still with me? Be, do, go. Lastly is the go aspect of our primary call. The go aspect of your primary call is, remember, the be is, I am a what? Disciple. The do aspect is, I make. The go aspect is, I make disciples wherever I am. Mm. You can't stop me, baby. No matter where you put me, I'm making disciples. I'm not going to say, you know what, I'm out of position, Pastor Phil, so I'm going to put disciple making on hold. Well, I'm not where I want to be right now. You know, when I get into this particular position, the one I feel I'm called to do, then I'm going to make disciples. But until then, I'm just going to wander around a little bitter. No, no, no. Your primary call is to be a disciple who makes disciples wherever you are. And you put a disciple maker in jail and they're going to make disciples. 
That might not want to be where you want to be. <laughs> that might not be where you're going to be, but I'm here, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. You might feel like you're called to be a CEO, but you find yourself at the bottom of the barrel. Make disciples. Maybe God wants you at the bottom of the barrel because there's somebody you wouldn't reach as a CEO who he's dying to get to at the bottom of the barrel. And all the time it's all about, oh, God hasn't promoted me. God hasn't. God's like, well, wait a minute. I love people. And if I promote you, I'm going to move you further away from this one particular person that I'm dying to meet. Excuse me. I died to meet. Are you guys with me? So often I see young men and women who are zealous to be leaders, zealous to have a title, zealous to be recognized. And they get so, so discouraged because it's not happening. And I get that. Trust me, I get that. I do not want you to die on the vine. And at a certain point, you should move up to the place that God has called you to be most effective so you can feel most fulfilled. But I want to remind you, you have a primary call. And it's not to be disenfranchised. It's to make disciples. Wherever you are. And a lot of the time, your promotion is dependent on what you're doing right now. Are you with me? Because I'm about to have a heart attack. Breathe. I'm passionate about this. I'm really sweaty. Your current position, place, or title should not keep you from discipling. Some of you may disqualify yourselves because you think that you're too young in the Lord. You might even say, I'm barely a disciple myself. But that shouldn't stop you from loving on the lost and inviting them into your space, even if you're just in a beginning space. You know, I want to tell you something. You know, sometimes who the most effective evangelists are, not the person that's been in the Lord 20 years, the one that got saved five days ago. There's no disqualification here. So listen, not only, well, actually, I want to say this. So the go aspect is to make disciples wherever you are. The go aspect of your personal call is to make disciples, here it is, wherever you're most effective. Now, I want you to get this. Not only does our be and our do inspire us to disciple no matter where we are, but our be and our do inform our go and point us towards places we can be most effective for Christ. I'm going to go back to my wife and I. For Jamila, her Christ-like pastoral shepherding identity causes her to excel at being an encouraging counselor. But she is most effective and most energized in a one-on-one or small group setting. And for those of you know who, for those of you who know her best, you know that when she's one-on-one, that's a sweet spot for my wife. That's a sweet spot. Some of you are like, well, how come she doesn't preach on Sunday? Her sweet spot is one-on-one or small group settings. And so her be and her do inform her go. Now, for me, talking about my Christ-like prophetic type design allows me to be a challenging teacher and makes me most effective in settings where I'm teaching 
or instructing in a way that I can mobilize or challenge a community. And so you find me up here on Sunday, not because I believe that women shouldn't be and the so and should be or she's this or that, because we all have different teaching. We all have different giftings. When you know your lane, you stay in your lane. You don't get offended when someone doesn't promote you to a lane that you're not supposed to be in. Yeah? Okay. Wipe the sweat away. We're almost done here. Putting all three of these elements together, I want to put, I want to talk about the unity of the call. And I want to give you one quick, we're going to skip through a couple of things as well. We're going to talk about the unity of the call. And I'm going to give you a quote from a man by the name of Cotton Mather. He says this. Here's the quote. The quote says this. A Christian at their two callings is a person in a boat rowing. If they mind but one of their callings, be it which it will, they pull the oar but on one side of the boat and will make but a poor dispatch to the shore of eternal blessedness. It is not only necessary that a Christian should follow their primary calling, it is also necessary that they follow their personal calling too. And I thought I was going to have tons of time. I am going to Fast forward to the gifting portion. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. We're just going to continue off next week in that gifting portion. Because I'm sure there are some of you in here who's like, you know what? I get all that. Thank you for sharing you and Jamila. I can see that. But I definitely want to continue to get some tools and some ways that I can continue to discover my gifting portion. But I will. I want to conclude this morning's message. By giving you some practical tips. I want to conclude this morning. Actually what I'll do is I'll conclude this morning. We're going to conclude with just the calling equation. I'm going to conclude with the calling equation. Thanks for being patient. When it comes to the call of God. Here's an equation that I want you to write down. Number one. The word of God and prayer. Plus, my spiritual gifts, plus an inner burden, plus my practical skills, I know this is a lot, plus an irresistible desire, plus the local church, equals God's call for my life. The word of God in prayer, everything starts there. Study the Word of God. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are in the Word of God. Read it. Look for it. Study it on your own. Have private devotions, private with the Lord. Pray through it. Ask God, Lord, help me to discover my gifts. Keep asking. Keep praying. Keep studying. Everything starts from the Word and prayer. Plus, your spiritual gifts. As you begin to read your Word, as you begin to study your Word, you need to learn to discover your spiritual gifts. And then once you begin to discover your spiritual gifts, you also begin to discover your inner burdens. What are the needs that move you? What are the needs that move you? I did a social experiment this on Instagram this week. Thank you for those of you that responded. And for those of you that didn't, hopefully you respond next time. But what are the needs that move you? I asked this question. If you had a million dollars or if you had all the money in the world, money wasn't an option. You could quit your job tomorrow. What would you do with your life? 
95% of the people that responded to me, and there was probably about 30 people that responded, 95% of the people responded to me all said that they would do something that would better the community. Whether it was fight against sex trafficking, whether it was travel on missions, whether it was to love on orphans. I was just so uplifted by that. You want to uplift your day? Ask somebody what their dream is. There's just a, when everyone started responding, I started reading people's dreams. I, was, I started to learn about people. And so my question for you is, do you have any inner burdens? What frustrates you in the city? When you drive around your neighborhood, what frustrates you? And I'm not talking about your neighbor that keeps, doesn't chop down the tree that's, you know, going over your fence. I'm talking about what burdens, what brokenness in the city brings a holy anger. The word of God in prayer, plus spiritual grift, plus your inner burden, plus your practical skills, plus this irresistible desire, plus the local church equals God's call for my life. And I'm going to finish, and we're going to pray. You can come up, sis. I'm going to finish, and we're going to pray. I'm going to finish with a story here. And I want to invite you to come back next week. We're, we're going to kind of really bring this thing home and, and really jump into the, not just clarifying the call, but the urgency of the call. Um, but I want to finish with you with my particular story. So a couple of years ago, I found myself kind of, I w- it was after I had kind of, I don't even know what the whole, how the context set up, but I was in an office uh, at my ch- home church, and I was for some reason, just beginning to think about the things that I used to do as a child. Some of you have heard this story before. And at that point, I had no why I was, I had no reason why. I didn't hear the Lord think about when you were a child. I didn't hear, it was just, I don't know if I was daydreaming in that moment or what was going on, but I was beginning to think about the things that I used to do as a child. And my parents may or may not remember this. My sisters would remember this. I used to love army men. And the reason why I say my family remembers that because I forget to put them away sometimes. And then when you step on them, you almost cuss, right? Some of you cuss. Some of you almost cuss. Either way, you thought about it, you're all in sin. Okay? All right. But you ever stepped on one of the, like your son or daughter's like army men and you didn't even know it was there? It's just like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so I used to have just tons of army men and tanks and planes. And on Saturday, as I was thinking about myself, I used to go out on Saturdays outside in my backyard. And I used to lug out all of my toys, all of my army men toys. And I used to grab like loose bricks and grab like pieces of wood and all this together. And I would spend my afternoon playing. But what I would do is, is I would build bases. I would build bases. And so I remember I go on one side and I build all these bases up and okay, and I go on the other side, I build up bases, and this is where the barracks are gonna be. So I put all the army men in there. This is where the, you know, this is where the surface-to-air missiles are gonna be. And I need to make sure I per- I position them right there because the enemy's coming from the north. And you know, I said, here's where the artillery's gonna be. I park all the tanks and I line them up uniquely right over here, and I make sure there was a general there sitting right there. I just I kind of positioned the whole thing. And then I would go across and I'd do the same thing on the other side. By the time I got done, this is probably from like 7 to like 28. <laughs> by the time, so I, some of y'all still be doing this. I, by the time I got done, two and a half hours would pass. And I remember looking at it, 
and feeling a sense of like, okay, I'm done. Like, you know, I wasn't the kid that would like fight against each other. Okay, now it's like you set up all the bases. Like now I actually do the war. And so I was energized and I found most excitement in building up the bases. But when it was all built up, I would, I'm done. And I, I'd be done. In fact, I didn't even want to play no more. There was also a part of me that was kind of like, oh, this stinks. What am I going to do now? I got to clean up. So I would clean up. And I remember thinking about that. And I was just like, oh, I'm just kind of having this random thought. And I'm like, I'm getting lost in it. But then as I begin to think on it, and I begin to think how I have been designed by God, and I begin to think on the things that energize me and the doings of life today, and the way that God has positioned me even in the ministry that he's called me, I began to see a lot of familiarities. And I, I began to see, I love building. I love strategizing. You know, I took my strengths visors test. One of my top, number one is I'm a futurist. I love the vision. I love the plan. I like the position and set out. I'm entrepreneurial in spirit. And this was probably like seven years ago before I even knew I was going to church plant. And then in the ministry I was in then, what I was doing then, I realized, well, there's a lot of things that I'm doing now that reflect what I used to do as a child. Fast forward about four or five years after thinking that, I want to say three years after thinking that, I church planted, and I look at what I'm doing in church planting, what energized me, and I look back and say, wow, it's that same thing. A lot of times, we stop thinking and dreaming because we're adults. And that childlike thing that Christ talks about so much gets lost and dreaming and pretending is for children. We had a great guy come out at a church planting conference that gave us a really great understanding of what it means to wonder again. But we stop dreaming, we stop imagining, we stop playing because now that's what kids do. And there's certain of your dreams and your calls that have died and you sacrifice them at the altar of, of, of going after things for yourself, to being too busy, and so here's what I want to say this is for me, I began to have a discovery of what I was uniquely created and designed to do, daydreaming about how I used to play as a child. And now it does two things. Not only has it empowered me, but I look at my son, Philip, and I watch him. And I look at what he's drawn to, and it's so funny because he, he's such an actor. <laughs> But there's certain things that he does. It just so it intrigues me. And certain little nuances of things that he picks up faster than others. There's, and there's ways that he lines up his trucks and, you know, and the way he learned his colors and assort. And I'm like, is there administration in this young man? Is there, what is it that you, what is this unique design that you've given him now that you're going to use for your kingdom? And how can I as a father embrace it and encourage it and begin to nourish it as he grows up into a man? And how can I always remind him that those things that were given to him were from the heart of God? And remind him that there's gospel lenses that he needs to look through in order to find satisfaction in where he's going. And so this morning, I want to challenge you this week to pray with the Lord. And begin to just ask him, hey, what, what was I put on this planet to do? What was I called to do? But don't forget that in order to find that personal calling, you need to keep the primary calling, your focus. Mothers and fathers, think about yourself and look at your children. I want to encourage you to do that.
I'm going to pray right now, but just because sometimes when I say God bless you, I see that some of your dreams have died on your faces every Sunday. But God's not done. God's not done. And to those that feel like, oh, man, I'm a little bit older, that's a lie from the devil. That's a lie from the devil. I want you to know that Caleb and Moses did their most dangerous and powerful work at their later end of the years of their lives. Does not matter. Time doesn't matter to the Lord, only to the enemy. The enemy brings hurry and rush and anxiety, makes you jump into things too fast. God says, Look, we got time, and I can maximize time. Let's pray. Thank you. Let's pray.